This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Knowledge at Wharton on Business Radio. Here's your host, Dan Loney. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Knowledge at Wharton here on Sirius XM 111 Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Thanks very much for joining us. Well, the National Football League has been uh, dealing with uh, a variety of issues, especially in the recent uh, in the recent times. They have been at the heart of a societal question over social injustice and what role the players of that league can play in protecting, excuse me, in protesting that injustice. They have been kneeling during the national anthem, some of them, or raising their fists in protest, and that has drawn strong reaction all the way to the White House. In recent days, the owner of the Dallas Cowboys, Jerry Jones told his players that anyone who did not stand for the anthem would be suspended for that game. But that initiative has been changed in the wake of a meeting between National Football League players, owners, and Commissioner Roger Goodell. We'll delve into that more in just a second as we welcome in Ken Shropshire, who is CEO of the Global Sports Institute, as well as a professor emeritus here at the Wharton School, Charles Grantham, who's director of the Center for Sports Management at Seton Hall University and a former representative to various NBA players, and also Andrew Brandt, who's director of the Center for Sports Law at Villanova University. He is an NFL business analyst at ESPN, columnist for the MondayMorningQuarterback.com, and host of The Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt podcast. Podcast. Ken, Charles, Andrew, as always, great to have you all with us today. Thank you for your time. You're welcome. Thank you. Glad to be here. Thank you. Uh, let's. I, I guess, Ken, let's start with the basic questions that, that is, are, is being asked. What are the rights of these players in this situation? Well, they're employees. I mean, you know, in, in that sense, they're, you know, it's, it's, it's that, that uh, dynamic. They're employees, but they are uh, American citizens and human beings. So, you know, all of us can can walk into our job, and all of us can uh, protest in any way we want. And, and there may, may be consequences, but but how uh, how dedicated, how how focused are you on the, the issues you're concerned about? So, it, it it really is. You know, these are just high profile people uh, that that feel an obligation to take some action that that we're all being able to watch. But you know, all of us day in and day out have to make similar kinds of decisions. Sure. Charles, go ahead. Well, you know, <clears throat> from uh, from the perspective of being a, a union leader, uh, you're advancing the interests of of all your players uh, clearly. Um, but you know, let's not let's not walk away from this idea that players are taking a very strong stand here for something that they are a emotionally involved in, but right. also recognize the far ranging. Uh, business implications, and that's clearly what's brought everybody to the table here uh, on the one hand. On the other hand, we also have to recognize that, again, as a, as a union leader, uh, these are young men who have been uh, basically uh, defeated at the bargaining table over the last 20 years. And since 2011, they've probably lost upwards to $10, $12 billion that's transferred from owners, or from players to owners. And so I say that because in the back of the, in the context of all of this, that, that owners still looking forward to a new deal that will extend. And the players clearly see, A, the grievance and all these things that are happening at night, giving them a window of leverage here that ultimately will impact those negotiations. Andrew? 
Well, I think the leverage that Charles talked about, one of the ways they have it, and it's a unique situation because they're usually, the leverage is against them, but there's no rule requiring them to stand for the anthem. Now, again, nothing was out of these meetings that said you do stand or don't stand or no quid pro quo, but the rule uses the word should and not must, and therefore, if the owners want to have some uniform standing policy, that's going to require some give. And the more progressive NBA does have a rule requiring standing. So this, to me, I differ a little bit with Charles. That I don't think this is a collective bargaining issue because I don't think we're going to wait four years for resolution. Well, no, no, I didn't intend that. But, but yeah, I, I always understand. looking in the long run here. I'm not but right now. It's a unique opportunity to craft something together and, and players have a little leverage. Well, Andrew, the meetings yesterday that happened in New York City between the players and the owners and the league, basically the story that came out of there is that the league is not going to penalize players for kneeling during the national anthem. It's interesting, I guess, in the wake of the comments that are attributed to Jerry Jones, uh, about his team uh, several days ago. So seemingly there there were probably some significant conversations that went on in New York City yesterday. Yeah, and that really brings up this whole league versus team dynamic. We know the rule we just talked about with the league, and the league is not going to discipline and can't discipline because the rule doesn't say stand. Uh, but we do talk about teams having their own rules and team discipline. Right. Now, we expect all the Dallas Cowboys will stand, but if they don't, it brings up interesting questions. If they're disciplined in terms of sitting out a game, you know, sitting out series with this uh, not-play directive that Jerry Jones had, I would think that would be politically a very negative move for Jerry Jones or something like that to do. But, you know, he has put a line in the sand there with those statements. Well, Charles, that that was going to be my next question to you, is that seemingly that that cannot be something that uh, would sit well within the within the locker room. And in fact, hearing some of the Cowboys players, they basically took the uh, the the approach of no comment. You know, they didn't want to discuss what had been talked about between them and Jerry Jones. Well, it's also pretty clear here that uh, they would like to see the owners take more, uh, to be more involved in whatever solution there is. If you look at the NBA, they've got so, they've become sort of facilitators for change. In other words, they have right. recognized or acknowledged that players are doing these things and they are helping them create a platform for that. Now, that to me is a little disingenuous because you, there's no ownership in this. And the players at football certainly are appearing to say, look, we're not interested in uh, a cover-up. We're not interested in something that perhaps will perceived uh, be, to be disingenuous. We want something substantial, and that's going to require resources, and that's going to require a cost. What what doesn't appear um, at this point is that the players have a unified strategic plan to get to the end here. Now that may come, and certainly over the the next several weeks. And, and this this meeting yesterday was built to be something of change. I never figured it would be that. It's right. sort of the beginning of a negotiation, which we're seeing here. And hopefully over time, they'll we'll, we'll, uh, come to some kind of collective agreement because the, the, the difficulty in the NFL uh, is that they have very poor labor relations. Mm-hmm. Forget about labor negotiations. They have very poor labor relations because at some point, the leaders are called upon to do what? Diagnose change and create an action plan to get there. 
And right now, between Roger and D and those two parties, they cannot get there yet. So ultimately, uh, we hope that uh, we'll see something like that. But it's not, it's not there yet. It's just at the beginning. D being Demora Smith, who's the uh, head of the uh, NFL Players Association. We're talking about players' rights and the NFL. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, you can send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. We are on the phone with Ken Shropshire of the Global Sport Institute, Charles Grantham of Seton Hall University, Andrew Brandt of Villanova University. Again, your comments at 844-942-7866. Ken, when you, when you really look at this as a whole, and, and as Charles alluded to, having a plan in the beginning of a negotiation, this is something that, that realistically, even though that the issues surrounding the players have been going on for quite some time right now, to put forth a plan to really tr- start to tackle some of these issues does take a while. Well, that's right. I think I think both sides really want to move past this this moment we're in, and get to action. And and you know if we look at it, the players, many individuals, Malcolm Jenkins, uh, you know, guys around the league have programs in place. And, and what they really want to do is take the energy away from this whole you know the right to protest and the the type of protest to actually taking action. And I think that will be the best outcome for both sides once we get there. I mean, the league wants to deal this with anymore and the players can better focus their energy on actually taking action. Andrew, with your background working in front offices, do you believe that the that the, the majority of the league owners want to be able to move on from this? I do. I mean, I think they're also hearing from, let's face it, fans, sponsors, networks, maybe other constituents, stakeholders that want to stick to sports and want sports as their refuge away from real-world problems. And they're trying to balance that with trying to get along with, work out a solution with their most important constituency, which is the players. So as a team executive, I can put myself in that situation where you're trying to balance all these concerns with trying to please your players. Those are tough things to do because players have different agendas than teams, and and players don't care that maybe fans are turned off with it. They want to do what they want to do. So, yeah, that's a balance you have to strike. But to a degree, this is a new element, though, for front offices across the NFL in dealing with this type of issue. They obviously have to, as you know, deal with contracts and and players' salaries and and, and injuries. This is a new element for a lot of these teams to really uh, be involved in. Yeah, and I I don't think, and I'm sure my colleagues can comment better on this maybe than I, but we can't lose sight of this is reflective of division in the country. Correct, yeah. That's something we haven't had before. We haven't had this stirred pot from the top, and that's reflective of everything going on. Charles? Well, I mean, I, I go back to the, uh, the original point here. Uh, they're trying to move management away from being facilitators and actually taking some ownership to the change they're trying to initiate. And that change has uh, got to be reflective in a programming and organized way and it would have to be a centralized program, meaning it's got to come from the league, and the teams would be participants. But it's got to be more than just creating a platform for our players to speak out. That's not going to get there anymore because 
the, the players have taken upon themselves. You know, one thing you got to say about Kaepernick, I think he should be up for the, the man of the year for Time Magazine. Right? Right. Because right. he has certainly enlightened a lot of players. And by stepping forward and now making this a grievance, you've moved it into a national and international scene. And uh, uh, he's really doing a, a justice and a favor for all athletes, not just black athletes here. But you, you're calling in question... Uh, at least in this grievance, he's calling in question. And I think all of us just sit and think about this for a moment. If the President of the United States called either one of us out as being disrespectful to the country or to the flag, do you think that would any way, shape, or form impact on our employment possibilities if we right. were unemployed? And I think if we look at it, start there. Now, he may never approve collusion, but... If I were the director and interviewing all of these particular owners about the conversations that they've had, some things are going to come out there that um, that would perhaps not be so um, <laughs> so good for all the owners, and particularly Roger Goodell. Well, and he it, doesn't know what those conversations are. Exactly, exactly. And Ken, playing off of what Charles just said with the with the grievance that was filed by Colin Kaepernick, uh, to try and prove collusion is a very hard thing to do in a variety of different elements of uh, of sport. Seemingly, it's interesting though with the NFL. Uh, that you're talking about a league where the league is basically run by the 32 owners. Uh, you have Roger Goodell, who is kind of the, the the face of the league as the commissioner, but people forget sometimes that this is a league that is basically built, run, and set by the 32 owners of these franchises. No, that, that's right. So you, you have both the antitrust laws that, that prevent collusion and, and also within the collective bargaining agreement, and it's you know, we were talking uh, elsewhere about the few times in sport where collusion has been found. And classically, it's in, uh, you know, commissioner's office. There's an actual meeting uh, with, with back with baseball collusion with Peter Uberoff. And then uh, the USFL-NFL case, also involving President Donald Trump, a classroom up at, at Harvard where owners had conversations that, that, that identified collusion. So, so it's very hard in some sense to find the smoking gun that there's been an actual agreement and people are pretty sophisticated now but i always say too you know the technology trail is a little bit deeper than it used to be uh in the past so that may well be a place where collusion could be found andrew yeah it's an uphill battle you would think that you'd have to find like ken said a smoking gun between teams you know collusion involves two or more actors concertedly trying to keep him out or not sign him or whatever it is, it's not enough to say, oh, I like this guy better. That's not collusion. It's not enough to say we decided we like the quarterbacks that we have. That's not collusion. It's got to be concerted action. But I think it just points to Colin Kaepernick's frustration that he's been a free agent since February. I think we all can say he's better than a lot of quarterbacks that were signed. And we all can say there's obviously more to it than just his football ability whether that amounts to collusion or not, but I think it shows that, hey, I'm done. I realize it's late October. I haven't been signed. It's now he's taken this antagonistic step. Uh, Charles, if if this meeting had not occurred yesterday between the owners and the players, and I'm thinking, you know, surmising here, and if the league had come forth with some new idea that they were going to mandate the players to stand for the national anthem, it seemingly that just would have opened up a Pandora's box for the weekend and, and potential even greater issues, I think, between the players and the owners. 
yeah, I think you would have greater conflict um, because there would be, I think, uh, many players who would not have uh, would would not have uh, stood. I mean, <laughs> the confrontation is pretty clear. They did not want that confrontation, and I think they saw that in the meeting, and therefore both sides agreed to continue discussions and to figure out a way that we can all collectively uh, uh, come up with some type of agreement. Look, it, this has been going on for more than a year. Okay, so yeah. in terms of um, where do you go from here, if there were better uh, labor relations, then perhaps this could have been avoided in the beginning. But um, that just doesn't exist in the NFL at this point. And I think largely it's because the players, because the owners essentially were greedy uh, in uh, the 2011 and the trying to basically take not only the, 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 the money, but take the players' dreams as well. In other words, you don't have to be, you don't have to take it all just because you can. And right. uh, it's sort of reflecting now in the way the leadership is, 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 uh, is uh, working together on many issues that they failed to. I mean, you've got, you've got domestic violence, you've got Ezekiel, well, you've got all these other things that are happening at the same time, uh, all clearly a result of that 2011 uh, agreement. Yeah, can I jump in? Yep. I, I think that's a great point because I covered those meetings for ESPN and I've been involved in them. And I just think that, you know, having done contracts for a team, when I quote unquote got over on a player and I felt great, you know, we got such a great deal, it always came back to haunt me. Uh, it always came back to haunt me. It was sort of a life lesson. You know, you never take advantage too hard of someone. And that you know, Charles has really identified there's been such mistrust and, frankly, dislike between leadership of the union, leadership of the NFL, and that has petered out into really just every time they talk, it's only in court or in arbitration. There's no relationship, and a relationship could have smoothed out a lot of these problems before they get to these collusion claims, grievances, court cases, etc., and realistically, this is this is, I think, Andrew, the first time that we are really seeing this type uh, of a level of distrust on an issue that is off the field. We've seen distrust, as you mentioned, with contracts and uh, going back a couple of years, the taking care of retired players with their health coverage, having to deal with uh, all of those types of issues. This is uh, this is just as you said, it's another piece to what has been a growing level of mistrust between the two sides. Yeah, in week three, we saw unity because everyone was clapping back at the, at the president's comments, and, and everybody could say, you know, you insulted our game, you called us SOBs, and that was a natural. But then, I, as I predicted, it sort of would get messy after that because, you know, now owners want to get back to stick to sports, and players don't. Yeah. So that unity in week three seems to be dissipating. Ken? No, I think I think that's absolutely right. I, I think you know, and it's not just the owners too. I mean, the, the players in, in, are both frustrated with wanting to focus on on the game as well, but wanting to have a platform and a real discussion and real action on the issues. So, so there's there's frustration all over. I mean, I think Andrew's exactly right. You had that moment where you know somebody's calling you a son of a bitch. You you take action. That that will unite people. Uh, but after that kind of moment is over. And you have owners that kind of come back to their senses in some some way and say, "Oh, you know, wait a minute, I, I shouldn't be out here kneeling with these guys. Let me get back where I get back in position." Well, uh, then you you got this confusion again. 
Andrew, when you look at it from the legal perspective, and and not just specifically the NFL, but obviously we have seen a few cases of players kneeling at the college level and even at the high school level, and and there have been instances where those players have been dismissed from those teams because of quote unquote team policy that the coach or the university or the athletic department have put into place. Could we see potential legal action in those realms because of what we're seeing in the in the National Football League? That's a great question, and again, to me as a lawyer, it always comes back to policy and precedent. What's the policy? What's the precedent? And as, as we've been talking about, the NFL, you know, it started, as Charles said, 14 months ago, Colin Kaepernick caused this firestorm, and the NFL put out a tweet, I remember it, within an hour from all this, all this noise about players are encouraged but not required to stand. Yeah. And to me, that's it. That's the policy. So when you drill it down to colleges or you drill it down to high schools, what's the policy, what's the precedent, and maybe there is none. And that's where you get into these disputes, and it's unfortunate that that's what it's become, players being kicked off teams and sort of creating this additional divisiveness around the country. So, Charles, what do you think are, are, are the next steps now between the players and the owners to be able to really make some, some meaningful change in this area? Well, it's the responsibility of leadership, and you know, I, I would go back to my experience with David Stern many years ago. That uh, we felt it was incumbent upon us, as the, as the sort of leaders of respective organizations, to to be able to look and see what those outside forces are and how they were going to negatively impact our business. And once we recognize them, they're going to negatively impact. We can fight over salaries. We can fight over grievances, which we had many, many, many times. But things that look like they were going to negatively affect our business, which both of us, since we are partners in this revenue-sharing agreement, we're financial partners, that we have to be able to take a look at that and say, okay, how do we now work together? We fought yesterday over a grievance, but today we're working together to figure out a way that we can resolve this this negative force that's staring us down the face. And in our days, of course, it was it was the HIV, it was uh, it was the drugs, it yeah. was various things. But it, no different than today that this is an outside force that's going to negatively impact your business in the long run, which requires that both the labor leader and management get together and say, "Here's how we can constructively together." resolve this issue. So next steps, I think ownership's got to go back and regroup and kind of start to see this through the lens of a player, which up to this point has not been done. Ken? Yeah, you know, every time I hear Charlie mention the the labor management piece, I mean, I think about how quiet the, the union's been on this issue. Um, so so I, don't, I don't know. I mean, I think in, in some ways... The you know, unions being supportive of the players, and 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 yes, you should have uh, the rights that are granted in the CBA. But there hasn't really been an activist role by the union, and and, and there may be something strategic about that, uh, about why they're there. I mean, even after the meeting yesterday in New York, we didn't hear a whole lot from the union right. afterwards. So, so I'm, right. I'm just not sure that it's a a traditional labor management kind of kind of conflict. Well, the interesting thing, Charles, and with your background in the NBA, uh, is that we have seen uh, various NBA players uh, make their feelings known about what has been happening with the NFL. And I saw a, an article yesterday that just reinforced the agreement that the NBA players have with the NBA itself in terms of 
whether they stand or not during the anthem. And it is a rule within the NBA that the players must stand for the national anthem. I find that interesting. Yeah, it's not a rule I did. <laughs> right, exactly, right. But the point being is that it, it goes back to, are you going to be a facilitator or are you going to be a change maker? Right. And the players are really looking for change makers or change agents, as I would say. Um, and, and, and the owners are pushing back, saying, no, we'd like to be facilitators, but we don't invest any money. 844-942-7866 is the number if you'd like to join in. We're joined by Ken Shropshire, Charles Grantham, and Andrew Brandt. Your comments are welcome either that way or by t- uh, Twitter at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. Uh, Andrew, how do you expect the, this issue, to? Uh, as I asked both uh, Ken and Charles, how do you expect this to play out in the future? Well, quickly, I want to echo what Ken said about the union. I think this it really is stark that this is kind of being led by players individually, the Malcolm Jenkinses, the Doug Baldwins, the Michael Bennetts, uh, Russell Okung, and you don't hear a lot from leadership of the union. The other part of this we just have to mention is the union put out a tweet, a, a note the other day, Sunday, saying, you know, this Kaepernick grievance, we're finding out about it when you are. You know, we're... We're just finding out about it. We're not part of it. Yeah. Now, they may join it, but it's just interesting that it shows some maybe tension between even Kaepernick and the union. In terms of playing out, they have said this is the start of something, and we're going to see if their meetings next week and two weeks and four weeks, and maybe even Kaepernick, despite having antagonized with this collusion claim, maybe even him being part of it. And so I think what we look at is first step, and the players are going to hold the owners accountable, whatever that is, as we go forward. Thank you all for joining us today. Thank you, Ken, Charles, Andrew. All the best to you. Thank you for your insight. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Sirius XM 111 Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.